0: Chapter eleven part one of Equanimitas by Sir William Osler. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter eleven part one after twenty-five years. For some we loved the loveliest and the best. That from his vintage rolled time has pressed, have drunk their cup a round or two before, and one by one crept silently to rest. Omar Catium After twenty five years McGill College, Montreal eighteen ninety nine. From two points of view alone. HAVE WE A WIDE AND SATISFACTORY VIEW OF LIFE. ONE, AS, AMID THE GLORIOUS TINTS OF THE EARLY morn, ERE THE DEW OF YOUTH HAS BEEN BRUSHED OFF, WE STAND AT THE FOOT OF THE HILL, EAGER FOR THE JOURNEY. THE OTHER, WIDER, PERHAPS LESS SATISFACTORY, AS WE GAZE FROM THE SUMMIT, AT THE LENGTHENING SHADOWS CAST BY THE SETTING SUN. FROM NO POINT IN THE ASCENT, have we the same broad outlook, for the steep and broken pathway affords few halting places with an unobscured view. You remember in the ascent of the Mountain of Purgatory, Dante, after a difficult climb, reached a higher terrace encircling the hill, and, sitting down, turned to the east, remarking to his conductor, All men are delighted to look back. So, on this occasion, from the terrace of a quarter of a century, I am delighted to look back, and to be able to tell you of the prospect. Twenty-five years ago this faculty, with some hardihood, selected a young and untried man to deliver the lecture on the institutes of medicine. With characteristic generosity, the men who had claims on the position in virtue of service in the school recognising that the times were changing, stepped aside in favour of one who had had the advantage of postgraduate training in the subjects to be taught. The experiment of the faculty, supplemented on my part by enthusiasm, constitutional energy, and a fondness for the day's work, led to a certain measure of success. I have tried to live over again in memory those happy early days but by no possible effort can I recall much that I would fain remember. The dust of passing years has blurred the details, even in part the general outlines of the picture. The blessed faculty of forgetting is variously displayed in us. In some, as in our distinguished countryman, John Beattie Crozier, it is absent altogether and he fills chapter after chapter with delightful reminiscences and descriptions of his experiences and mental states at corresponding periods we are about the same age my memory hovers like a shade about the magic circle which ulysses drew in hades but finds no teresias to lift the veil with which oblivion has covered the past shadowy as are these recollections WHICH, BE THEY WHAT THEY MAY, ARE YET THE FOUNTAIN LIGHT OF ALL OUR DAY, ARE YET A MASTER LIGHT OF ALL OUR SEEING. THEY ARE DOUBLY PRECIOUS FROM THEIR ASSOCIATION WITH MEN WHO WELCOMED ME INTO THE FACULTY, NOW, ALAS, A SADLY REDUCED REMNANT. TO THEM, TO THEIR INFLUENCE, TO THEIR EXAMPLE, TO THE KINDLY ENCOURAGEMENT I RECEIVED AT THEIR HANDS, I CAN NEVER BE SUFFICIENTLY GRATEFUL. FAITHFULNESS IN THE DAY OF SMALL THINGS MAY BE SAID TO HAVE BEEN THE DISTINGUISHING FEATURE OF THE WORK OF THE FACULTY IN THOSE DAYS. THE LIVES OF THE SENIOR MEMBERS TAUGHT US YOUNGSTERS THE LESSON OF PROFESSIONAL RESPONSIBILITY, AND THE WHOLE TONE OF THE PLACE WAS STIMULATING AND REFRESHING. IT WAS AN EDUCATION IN ITSELF, PARTICULARLY IN THE AMENITIES OF FACULTY and professional life to come under the supervision of two such deans as dr george campbell and dr palmer howard how delightful it would be to see the chairs which they adorned in the school endowed in their memories and called by their names one recollection is not at all shadowy the contrast in my feelings today only serves to sharpen the outlines my first appearance before the class filled me with a tremulous uneasiness, and an overwhelming sense of embarrassment. I had never lectured, and the only paper I had read before a society was with all the possible motor accompaniment. With a nice consideration, my colleagues did not add to my distress by their presence, and once inside the lecture-room, the friendly greeting of the boys calmed my fluttering heart, and— AS SO OFTEN HAPPENS, THE ORDEAL WAS MOST SEVERE IN ANTICIPATION. ONE PERMANENT IMPRESSION OF THE SESSION ABIDES, THE AWFUL TASK OF THE PREPARATION OF ABOUT ONE HUNDRED LECTURES. AFTER THE TEN OR TWELVE WITH WHICH I STARTED WERE EXHAUSTED, I WAS ON THE TREADMILL FOR THE REMAINDER OF THE SESSION. FALSE PRIDE forbade THE READING OF THE EXCELLENT LECTURES OF MY PREDECESSOR, DR. DRAKE, WHICH, WITH HIS wonted GOODNESS OF HEART, he had offered. I reached January in an exhausted condition, but relief was at hand. One day the post brought a brand new work on physiology by a well-known German professor, and it was remarkable with what rapidity my labors of the last half of the session were delighted. An extraordinary improvement in the lectures was noted. The students benefited, and I gained rapidly in the facility with which i could translate from the german long before the session was over i had learned to appreciate the value of the position entrusted to me and sought the means to improve the methods of teaching i had had the advantage of one of the first systematic courses on practical physiology given at university college london a good part of which consisted of lessons and demonstrations in histology in the first session, with but a single microscope, I was only able to give the stock display of the circulation of the blood, ciliary action, etc. But a fortunate appointment as physician to the smallpox department of the General Hospital carried with it a salary which enabled me to order a dozen Hartnack microscopes and a few bits of simple apparatus. This is not the only benefit I received from the old smallpox wards, which I remember with gratitude, as from them I wrote my first clinical papers. During the next session I had a series of Saturday demonstrations and gave a private course in practical histology. One grateful impression remains, the appreciation by the students of these optional and extra hours. For several years I had to work with very scanty accommodation, trespassing in the chemical laboratory in winter and in summer using the old cloakroom downstairs for the histology in 1880 i felt very proud when the faculty converted one of the lecture rooms into a physiology laboratory and raised a fund to furnish and equip it meanwhile i had found time to take my bearings from the chair of the institutes of medicine both physiology and pathology were taught it has been a time-honoured custom to devote twenty lectures of the course to the latter, and, as my colleagues at the Montreal General Hospital had placed the post-mortem room at my disposal, I soon found that my chief interest was in the pathological part of the work. In truth, I lacked the proper technique for practical physiology. For me the apparatus never would go right, and I had not a diener could prepare even the simplest experiments. Alas, there was money expended, my own usually, I am happy to say, but sometimes my friends, as I was a shocking beggar, in apparatus that I never could set up, but over which the freshmen firmly believed that I spent sleepless nights in elaborate researches. Still, one could always get the blood to circulate, cilia to wave and the fibrin to digest i do not think that any member of the ten successive classes to which i lectured understood the structure of a lymphatic gland or of the spleen or of the placental circulation to those structures i have today an ingrained hatred and i am always delighted when a new research demonstrates the folly of all preceding views of their formation. Upon no subjects had I harder work to conceal my ignorance. I have learned since to be a better student, and to be ready to say to my fellow students, I do not know. Four years after my college appointment, the governors of the Montreal General Hospital elected me on the visiting staff. What better fortune could a young man desire? I left the same day for London with my dear friend George Ross, and the happy days we had together working at clinical medicine did much to wean me from my first love. From that date I paid more and more attention to pathology and practical medicine, and added to my courses one in morbid anatomy, another in pathological histology, and a summer class in clinical medicine i had become a pluralist of the most abandoned sort and at the end of ten years it was difficult to say what i did profess i felt like the man in alcibiades too to whom i applied the words of the poet full many a thing he knew but knew them all badly weakened in this way i could not resist when temptation came to pastures new in the fresh and narrower field of clinical medicine after ten years of hard work i left this city a rich man not in the world's goods for such i have the misfortune or the good fortune lightly to esteem but rich in the goods which neither rust nor moth have been able to corrupt in treasures of friendship and good fellowship and in those treasures of widened experience and a fuller knowledge of men and manners which contact with the bright minds in the profession ensures my heart or a good bit of it at least has stayed with those who bestowed on me these treasures many a day i have felt it turn towards this city to the dear friends i left there my college companions my teachers my old chums the men with whom I lived in closest intimacy, and in parting from whom I felt the Cordae Tendiniae grow tense. Twenty-five years ago, the staff of this school consisted of the historic septenary, with one demonstrator. Today I find on the roll of the faculty fifty-two teachers. Nothing emphasizes so sharply THE CHARACTER OF THE REVOLUTION WHICH HAS GRADUALLY AND SILENTLY REPLACED IN GREAT PART FOR THE THEORETICAL, PRACTICAL TEACHING, FOR THE DISTANT, COLD LECTURE OF THE AMPHITHEATRE, THE ELBOW-TO-ELBOW PERSONAL CONTACT OF THE LABORATORY, THE SCHOOL AS AN ORGANIZATION, THE TEACHER AND THE STUDENT, HAVE BEEN PROFOUNDLY INFLUENCED BY THIS CHANGE. When I joined the faculty, its finances were in a condition of delightful simplicity. So simple indeed that a few years later they were entrusted to my care. The current expenses were met by the matriculation and graduation fees and the government grant, and each professor collected the fees and paid the expenses in his department. Today the support of the laboratories absorbs a much larger sum than the entire income of the school in eighteen seventy four the greatly increased accommodation required for the practical teaching has made endowment a vital necessity how nobly by spontaneous gifts and in generous response to appeals the citizens have aided the efforts of this faculty i need not remind you without it mcgill could not have kept pace with the growing demands of modern methods upon one feature in the organization of a first-class school, permit me to dwell for a moment or two. The specialization of today means a group of highly trained experts in the scientific branches, men whose entire energies are devoted to a single subject. To attain proficiency of this sort, much time and money are required. More than this, these men are usually drawn from our very best students, with minds above the average. For the majority of them, the life devoted to science is a sacrifice. Not, of course, that it is so felt by them, since the very essence of success demands that in their work should lie their happiness. I wish that the situation could be duly appreciated by the profession at large, and by the trustees, governors, and the members of the faculties throughout the country. Owing these men an enormous debt, since we reap where they have sown and garner the fruits of their husbandry, what do we give them in return? Too often beggarly salaries and an exacting routine of teaching which saps all initiative. Both in the United States and Canada, the professoriate as a class the men who live by college teaching, is wretchedly underpaid. Only a few of the medical schools have reached a financial position which has warranted the establishment of thoroughly equipped laboratories, and fewer still pay salaries in any way commensurate with the services rendered. I am fully aware that with cobwebs in the purse, not what a faculty would desire has only too often to be done. BUT I HAVE NOT REFERRED TO THE MATTER WITHOUT FULL KNOWLEDGE, AS THERE ARE SCHOOLS WITH LARGE INCOMES, IN WHICH THERE HAS BEEN OF LATE A TENDENCY TO CUT DOWN SALARIES, AND TO FILL VACANCIES TOO MUCH ON WALL STREET PRINCIPLES, AND NOT FOR RELIEF OF THE POCKET ALONE WOULD I PLEAD. THE MEN IN CHARGE OF OUR CANADIAN LABORATORIES ARE OVERWORKED IN TEACHING. A WELL-ORGANIZED STAFF OF assistants IS VERY DIFFICULT TO GET and still more difficult, to get paid. The salary of the professor should be in many cases that of the first assistant. When the entire energy of a laboratory is expended on instruction, research, a function of equal importance, necessarily suffers. Special endowments are needed to meet the incessant and urgent calls of the scientific staff, It is gratifying to know that certain of the bequests to this school have of late been of this kind. But I can safely say that no department is as yet fully endowed. Owing to faulty conditions of preliminary education, the medical school has to meet certain illegitimate expenses. No one should be permitted to register as a medical student who had not a good preliminary training in chemistry. It is an anomaly that our schools should continue to teach general chemistry to the great detriment of the subject of medical chemistry, which alone belongs in the curriculum. Botany occupies a similar position. But the laboratories of this medical school are not those directly under its management. McGill College turned out good doctors when it had no scientific laboratories. WHEN THE MONTREAL GENERAL HOSPITAL AND THE UNIVERSITY MATERNITY WERE ITS ONLY PRACTICAL DEPARTMENTS. AMPLE CLINICAL MATERIAL AND GOOD METHODS OF INSTRUCTION GAVE THE SCHOOL ITS REPUTATION MORE THAN FIFTY YEARS AGO. GREAT AS HAS BEEN THE GROWTH OF THE SCIENTIFIC HALF OF THE SCHOOL, THE ALL-IMPORTANT PRACTICAL HALF HAS MORE THAN KEPT PACE, THE PRINCELY ENDOWMENT OF THE ROYAL VICTORIA HOSPITAL by our large-hearted Canadian peers, has doubled the clinical facilities of this school, and by the stimulus of a healthy rivalry, has put the Montreal General Hospital into a condition of splendid efficiency. Among the many changes which have occurred within the past twenty-five years, I would place these first in order of importance, since they assure the continued success of McGill as a school of practical medicine end of chapter eleven part one recording by luke sartor griffith new south wales